You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It is probably the most joyful day on the Christian calendar. Christians all around the world celebrating Resurrection Sunday. What an incredible, incredible day it is today. The day we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the dead. My heart is bursting with the reality of this. I'm probably going to get a bit excited as Janice was before. I hope that's okay. Two days ago, we gathered on Good Friday to remember the incredible sacrifice our Lord Jesus Christ made. He hung there on that cross, not as the victim of terrible circumstances, but it was his will. He hung there. He died to bring us back to God. This is love. That is the true, perfect picture of love. On Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice that Good Friday was not the end of the story. In our reading for today, there were some great words, hey? Read so well by Alex, some fantastic words in that passage, some earth-shattering words. There have been lots of other great and significant words spoken, haven't there, in our country and elsewhere, lots of significant, profound moments, lots of interesting and wonderful words uttered. I remember some of them. I remember some pretty significant words back in September 1993. Thousands of people gather at the foreshore of Sydney to hear, I wonder if you know what I'm talking about, to hear the announcement of who would host the Olympic Games in the year 2000. Do you remember? I don't know. I remember. It was pretty significant for me. Um, Lots of people go there to hear who's going to hold the Olympics in the year 2000. My sister got to go with her friends. It was like late at night and I wasn't allowed to go. I was too young. Mum wouldn't let me go. But everyone remembers what Juan Antonio Samaranch said. This is probably pretty applicable to lots of Aussies in the audience here. He said, and the winner is Sydney. Do you remember? The winner is Sydney. He said it like that. Do you remember? And the whole city erupted. In seven years' time, we would get to host the Olympic Games, a a momentous day for the city of Sydney. And the winner is Sydney. More recently, a very significant day in the history of our nation, when then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd said some very significant words in Parliament. He said, we are sorry. Very significant and profound words. He was apologising for the incredibly horrible mistreatment of this country's indigenous folks. Very significant for Aboriginal people on that day. We are sorry. Significant, profound words. Dr King's words, I have a dream at the Washington Monument there. I have a dream where people are treated not by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. These words electrified a nation and moved the civil rights cause to the White House, changing the law of the land. Significant, profound words. And, of course, we know these ones, right, from Neil Armstrong. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Profound, significant words, momentous words. These are all good. These are fantastic words signifying some pretty momentous and others maybe not so many, maybe very localised, but still profound moments and words. But they cannot compete with the words the angel spoke to the women in a reading we just heard. Because if it's true... It changes everything. These other words are significant and and make a ripple in the ribbon of time. But these words, if they're true, everything changes. Category 
shifting. What's the angel saying? He's saying this, a man has come back from the dead. These words aren't just of interest to kind of pious people or people who like to go to church on, on Easter or even regularly go to church. These words are significant even for us modern Sydney-siders, significant to you and I. Now, what we're going to do for the next few moments is we're going to travel through that reading that Alec read for us and with the question in our mind of why. Why are these words so significant? Why is the resurrection of Jesus the most important thing to ever happen? We're going to see a few reasons why that is the case and why it's relevant to you and I today. So let's travel, let's dive back into our reading for today. Where does it begin? It begins with the women. Early in the morning on Sunday, these women are followers of Jesus. They go to the tomb of where Jesus' body has been laid. They have the spices with them to lovingly prepare Jesus' body, as was the custom in their day. Now, notice this. They were not expecting an empty tomb. They're expecting to go to the tomb, see the dead body of their master, their teacher Jesus, and lovingly prepare it, as was the custom. Now, just for a moment, think. What kind of weekend these women would have had? You've had a bad weekend? Just think about that for a moment. And then just think, imagine what these women have gone through. Their beloved teacher they've known for years, they've heard his life-giving teaching, witnessed him healing the sick, care for the poor, saw him take on the religious leaders of the day, debate them really well, champion the outcasts of their society. They've seen all this, and then what have they seen in the last couple of days? Seen him strung on a cross beforehand, humiliated and beaten, now strung on the cross like a common criminal. These women wail at the foot of the cross, see Jesus take his last breath. What must they be thinking? They must be thinking, this is it. It's all over. This is it. This is the end of the line for Jesus and this exciting kingdom that he was talking about, that he was proclaiming about. This is the end of the line. This is all over. The elders and the chief priests, they got their way. They got what they wanted. The crowds got their way. The Romans perverted justice, and now Jesus is dead. They weep as his body comes down, help wrap it up along with Joseph of Arimathea, and they lay it in a cold tomb. The, uh, the world was pretty shocked by these images earlier this week, weren't we? One of the most visited places in the world, over 13 million visitors visit this place, Notre Dame, engulfed in flame. I woke up on Monday morning to these sad images. Were you moved by them? Such a place of history and beauty, damaged so badly by fire, so much loss. See, this photo really is so confronting, this one here. Look at that. What a photo, particularly on this Easter week. Notre Dame on fly in, the sh- in fire in the shape of a flaming cross. Of course, all, all cathedrals are built in that cruciform. Parisians line the streets to sing and pray, mourning the damage of what their beloved Notre Dame, but what is the heart of this city? They mourn. One Parisian said, I'd come to see for myself, she is burning, all is lost. One police officer said, everything is collapsing. It is with heavy hearts like this that the women approach the tomb that Sunday morning. As they get closer, they see, though, the massive stone has been rolled away. 
to the Jewish authorities not wanting the disciples to tamper with Jesus' body, they put a Roman guard there and they put this enormous stone in front of the tomb. But as the women get closer, where are the guards? Where is the stone? They look, you can imagine them kind of glancing at each other and quickening their pace to get there first. They enter the tomb and they see that it's empty. Where is the body of Jesus? We were here three days ago. We laid it in here. Someone taken it? But hang on, the grave clothes are still here, folded neatly as if the body just rose through them. While they're wondering about this, we're told two angels appear. The women are totally freaked out that they fall face down. And the angel says these profound words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Could it be true? Could the pain of Friday be coming untrue? I said at the beginning of the message that these words are the greatest ever spoken, that uh, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus affects every single one of us today. Here's the first reason why. Because it deals with a fundamental reality that you and I must face, and that is death. We all have to face it. We all must deal with it. Every person, we've got to come to terms with the reality of death and every community since the dawn of time has instituted rituals and beliefs around this thing we must share. It's the issue that makes every other issue seem trivial, don't you think? And you'll know what I'm talking about if you've experienced the death of a loved one or a new death experience or something like that. I mean, just this week, we conducted a funeral right here. Not that long ago, I prayed with a young boy and his family, his brain ravaged by a tumour that took him several days later. I've sung at the bedside of a man who was absolutely wasted away. Cancer just left him as skin and bone. I sang at his bedside hours later, it would take him. I've cried with people, as many of you I'm sure have, cried with people as death has come so unexpectedly to loved ones. Death comes as it pleases. It is no respecter of persons. It is the great leveller. After the fire of Notre Dame was put out, uh, this was the first photo, the first picture released of the inside. It's an arresting image, isn't it? What a picture of hope after devastation. What do we see here? In the foreground, charred wood, Smoke and embers still floating. And in the distance, the background, we see the cross of Jesus Christ illuminated. What a picture of hope. After the darkness of Good Friday comes the hope of Resurrection Sunday. Death is not the end. There is hope. See, those words, he is risen, give us hope to face death. Because if Jesus has conquered death and has come back from the grave, it means that death is not the end then for those who trust in him. This is the truth. This is the power of God shown in the resurrection of the Son of God, and it changes everything. One has gone before us into the darkness of death and said no more. One has gone before us, stepping to that frightful abyss, let's face it, that every single one of us fears, and flexed his spiritual muscle and defeated it. And in doing so, Jesus has broken the power of sin, death, and the devil. In verse 7 of our passage, the angels, probably seeing the look of disbelief, they're thinking, 
Where have you put Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. The look of disbelief on their face. The angels then say this. They remind them, Jesus told you this was going to happen. Verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Tell you what, another reason that these are the greatest words ever spoken, that the reality of Jesus' resurrection is of infinite importance to you and I, is this. If he did rise again, it proves that everything he said was true. Everything he said was true. Every one of his words can be trusted. And let's face it, how many of us are looking for meaning and purpose in our lives? How many of us are looking for fulfillment? How many of us are looking for satisfaction? Jesus claimed to be the God that we think might be out there. And his claims are extraordinary. He says, are you thirsty? Come to me for a drink. I'll give you satisfaction. Are you tired? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Do you want life? Come to me and I'll give it to you to the full. Friends, if he didn't rise from the dead, forget everything I'm saying. Forget everything he said. Let's leave it as a footnote in history. But if he did rise from the dead, every word he said can be trusted. Now, the women, as you can imagine, (laughs) they're overawed. They're filled with amazement. They run out of the tomb and tell the others. Matthew's account of what happened says that they were afraid yet filled with joy. What do they do? Well, they go and tell the others. You want to share this news, wouldn't you? You wouldn't sit on it. They go and share this news. Now, what do you think the reaction of the disciples would be? What do you think it would be? Yes, we knew it. We remember. Jesus was talking about this stuff all the time, that he'd have to suffer, that that he'd die, but three days later he'd rise again. We remember. Nope. Their response is just somehow comforting and beautiful. They say this, right? Verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed seemed to them like nonsense. I tell you what, it's just so obvious to me that these accounts are anything but a fabrication. If you were making this up, if you were trying to write a legend or a fairy tale, would you make the foundation of the church, these these men that would go out and spread the truth about what happened, would you write this about them? That they thought that it was nonsense? It's kind of embarrassing to them, isn't it? If you were making this up, I tell you what, you wouldn't have had the women as the first people to encounter the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus. Back then, unfortunately, they, they couldn't give an account at a court of law that they were thought not to be reliable witnesses. Hardly a fabrication. Now, the disciples, of course, go from thinking it's nonsense to putting their complete faith in Christ, of course. But in this moment, they think, get real. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you're thinking, kind of does sound like nonsense. Nice to be here this morning, but I tell you what, people don't come back from the dead. Come on. There have been many who died, but no one's come back from the other side. And as nonsensical as it sounds, we Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus on good evidence. No one to this day has ever been able to satisfactorily solve the problem of the missing body of Jesus. What happened to it? Where did it go? What happened? Well, there are quite a few theories out, but I'll give you the top couple. Here they are. Jesus didn't really die. That's the first theory. 
What happened to the body of Jesus? Well, he didn't really die. They call it the swoon theory, that uh, on the cross Jesus fainted, that he looked pretty dead, that he survived hanging on the cross for over three hours, not to mention the severe flogging he had before. He survived on the cross. He survived the blood loss that would have happened from the nails being driven into his hands and his feet. He, uh, he has survived the spear that went through his side. He looked dead enough for the Roman soldiers to say, yeah, he's dead. These are professional executioners. They don't get this thing wrong. He looked dead enough for that. He was wrapped in grave clothes, presumably over his face. He had 35 kilos of myrrh of spices put on his body, survived that, was laid in a tomb with no medical attention for three days, no food, no water, and then somehow he revived had the strength enough to move the stone to overpower the guards and appear to his disciples to be in great health. Maybe. Takes a lot of faith. Or maybe the disciples took the body. Maybe they stole it. Maybe they overpowered the guards, moved the stone. Maybe they wanted to sort of, no, it's not over. We don't want it to be over. So they did that, over, overpowered the guards, moved the stone, and they took the body of Jesus and they hid it. Maybe. Why? What possible reason could they have? Here's the thing. Almost every single one of those disciples died for their faith. And no one dies for a lie. And don't get me wrong. There's lots of people in the world with pretty messed up beliefs and do things for pretty weird reasons. But no one keeps the conspiracy alive to the bitter end and gives their life knowingly for a lie. Maybe the authorities took the body. Maybe, maybe they took it. They had access to it. Maybe they took the body. But here's a question. What reason could they possibly have? They hated what happened in the hours and days after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples are making a song and dance about Jesus risen from the dead. So if they had access to the body, all they had to do was produce it. And this movement called Christianity would have been over like that. Over before it began. The best explanation for the missing body, God raised Jesus back to life. And I tell you what, it's not just a case of a missing body we've got to kind of come to terms with. It's a case of many people seeing Jesus alive. What do we do with that? The New Testament talks about over 500 people over a period of 40 days saw Jesus. What do we do with that? Some people try and explain it like it was a mass hallucination. Maybe. Hallucinations tend to be quite personal things. So we're saying over 500 people had the exact same hallucination over a month? Maybe. Not only this, but his impact on our world since then is too profound to put into words. It's just it's too hard to completely grasp. Millions upon millions have encountered Jesus throughout the ages, changing hearts, transforming lives, and inspiring incredible acts of service and generosity, almost as if he were alive today making these things happen. Jesus Christ changed the disciples from fearful men into faith-filled leaders of the church. He turned the murderer Saul into the Apostle Paul, wrote much of the New Testament. He turned the church father Augustine into a lust-filled adulterer, into a master author and theologian. He turned William Wilberforce from a listless, spoiled, rich boy into a crusader that tirelessly worked for the abolition of the slave trade in 18th century England. 
He gave Corey Ten Boom power to forgive her Nazi tormentors, Dr. King the strength to fight racial injustice, and he transformed Mother Teresa from a small, fearful woman into the embodiment of love and service to the poor. And friends, he is still changing lives today. This is the truth of the gospel. And there are many people in this room who would say the same. They would declare that Jesus has transformed their lives, and I'm one of them. These are not the actions of a dead man. Jesus is alive. After the disciples tell the women they're talking nonsense, come on, get real. People don't come back from the dead. Peter's got a different reaction. One of the followers, he's got a different reaction. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He wants to see for himself. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. See, Peter's not uh, not content with the conclusion of the other disciples. They can't, ah, no, it's nonsense. Not him, though. He wants to know. He wants to know more. He leaves them, goes to the tomb, and finds the women's words to be true. It is empty. Stone has been rolled away. It is empty. And there are the strips of linen lying there. And he wonders to himself what had happened. Let me ask you, are you a bit like Peter? Wondering to yourself, what happened? Maybe it happened. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe that? How do you come to grips with the reality of death? Will you brush it off for another day, think about it another time? Or will you, like Peter, ponder these things? Will you look into the claims of Jesus? You know what? Maybe today is the day for you to put your hope, your faith, your belief, your trust in this Jesus, the one who has come back from the dead and offers life to any who would receive it, the one who offers forgiveness of sin, who can deal with guilt, shame, and brokenness. No one else can. The one who can offer peace in the midst of a stormy life. The one who can save us from death. The truth is, you can know this Jesus. You can experience God today. You can know that you're not abandoned. That this isn't all there is. You can know forgiveness for failure, for guilt, sin and shame. You can know that you have eternal life, that you have a future, that you have a hope, and you have a calling. And you know what? No matter what, nothing and no one can take this away from us. Evil men may misuse the name of Jesus. Cathedrals may be engulfed in flame. Our work may continue to frustrate us. Illness may nip at our heels. But Jesus has still conquered the grave. Jesus' resurrection means that you and I can face death with certainty, that for those in him, we too will rise again. Let's pray together. Take some time to reflect. You know, maybe today is the day for you to do business with God. Maybe today is the day to seek him for forgiveness and to find new life. If so, just pray along with me. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross in our place. Lord, we thank you for the empty tomb. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for turning away from you and we receive your new life in the powerful name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. Amen. Amen.